It is Wednesday, June 17th, 2020. I'm Kevin Williams. This is the LDS Life Podcast. I have a few housekeeping items for you. If you've been listening to the podcast and noticed something a little bit different over the last three or four podcasts, you are correct. I have been using different microphones in this podcast. If you go back to the archives, the first podcasts from 2016 to 2019 were done off of a Logitech wireless microphone headset combo. The way that it worked is it was wireless, and so I had to get a Bluetooth USB adapter to plug it into the computer so that my voice would be on the computer, and then obviously I'd upload it to the podcast. Well, then in January of 2019, I bought just a regular USB mic combo from Best Buy. No, this is not a plug, by the way. Just telling you I bought it from Best Buy. This is not an advertisement or a plug. I just bought it from Best Buy. And then in May of last year, I bought a broadcast mic. It's called an S, uh, or it's called a PGA. So P is in Papa, G is in Golf, A is in Alpha, PGA 48. Uh, PGA 48 was the broadcast microphone, com- uh, broadcast microphone model. So it was a Shure, S U R E, PG 38 is what I bought, or I thought that it broke on me because I did not like the way the last podcast sounded. I do remember dropping it accidentally when I was doing something with the microphone stand. So I bought a new microphone. It's called an SM, so S is in Sam, M is in Mother, 58SW, so SM58SW, and it's a Shure, S-U-R-E. And this one's a little bit more expensive And I want to know, do I sound distorted on this microphone? Because whenever I listen to the headphones, listen to me through the headphones, I sound a little bit distorted when I listen to myself talking live through the microphone, uh, live on my headset here. I I do sense a little distortion. So I want to know if you hear it. And number two, what do you think of the new quality of the microphone? So email me, kevinw at ldslifepodcast.com. That's kevinw at ldslifepodcast.com. And let me know. By the way, since we are talking about how to get a hold of me, be sure to like the podcast on Facebook at LDS Life Podcast. And I'm also on Twitter, although I have not updated my Twitter account in, gosh, who knows how long. I need to update that. But it's also at LDS Life Podcast. Coming up, Sam Bushman, part two. Sam and I are going to talk a little bit more about the future of radio, the future of the Internet, because he does have some IT experience, actually a lot of IT experience as well as radio. We'll get into that. Also, because he's LDS, we're going to talk about what he thinks about Ammon Bundy's statement. And you heard it here on the podcast. If you go back and listen to both podcasts, we really get into it in uh, Ammon Bundy Part 2 about how there'll be constitutional tribes in the Intermountain West, and I asked him if it'll it'll be in different parts of the country as well. I got his take on that. Go back and listen. I want to hear Sam Bushman's take on that as well, because Joseph Smith uh, supposedly said that the U.S. Constitution will hang by a thread. Now there's debate whether he even said it, but because of what we know in history, he obviously said something to that effect. And so I want to get Sam Bushman's take. We're also going to talk a little bit about his mission, uh, being a blind person. And uh, we have some stories to tell. I might even ask him uh, to tell a funny story. And uh, maybe maybe you will hear a funny story by him. And maybe you'll hear a funny story from me, because don't forget, I'm a blind person as well. So maybe we will tell some funny stories. We'll also talk about how he gets around, if he prefers a 
guide dog, a cane. So all that is coming up, Sam Bushman Part 2. This is the LDS Life Podcast with Kevin Williams, podcasting to you from Billings, Montana. Hi, Sam. I'm glad to have you back on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, sir. Delighted to be here, Kevin. Yeah, I, well, I had a great time. I thought we had a great podcast, and uh, I want to continue the discussion. Now, uh, let's let's uh, start uh, let's start where we left off about your prediction of radio. You said that podcasting will be the future. So, do you think AM and FM radio will be obsolete? So that's a very unique topic because when we say obsolete, people think we mean in the next one year, two years, five years, and the answer is clearly not even maybe. No, I do not. However, do I think eventually that AMFM radio will be less or obsolete? I think so, yes. Okay. Um, the, yeah, the, what about stations like KSL and uh, all these big stations? So you're going to see a lot of grandfathered stations stay around for a long time because what you've got is you've got AFM, AM, FM analog, and then you've got digital FM currently. And so I think a lot of that will stay around. I think there's a lot of radios in cars. I don't think that's going away anytime soon. But AM, for all intents and purposes, in the house, with rare exception, is already dead because it's just too staticky. There's too many uh, digital things around, too much noise. Everybody's got a router in their house. Everybody's got, uh, you know, phone lines, and everybody's got. Uh, overhead wires and cables and underground wires and cables and uh, anyway so the static level in america is different by far from what it was in say the 50s or the 70s so am radio in your house is for the most part already dead and i don't mean to be negative to am radio stations i still think a lot of people listen to them i think that if you're in a small town you listen to it because you get the weather and some local information uh but i think for the most part am and fm radio will go away because again the towers are just too expensive and the radios are becoming less and less and less capable. A lot of car radios don't even have FM and AM hardly. I mean, they do, but when you turn it on, there's just static because there's not a good antenna or there's whatever the case may be. And so I think more and more and more we're going to see radios becoming less and less popular. The sad part about that is if we ever had an EMP or we ever had some kind of an outage, AM and FM radio becomes instantly not only viable but needful. And I think as a society, oftentimes we don't think about those things. We just think about how convenient something is now. Uh, but I think that AM and FM uh, broadcasts will uh, reduce significantly to where there will only be the grandfathered few, the people who have the strongest signals, uh, the people who have money to perpetuate their signals, such as a KSL. Look, they've got plenty of money. They're not going away anytime soon. Uh, but I think that the small town radio, it's very hard to stay alive. It's very hard to afford them to keep them running, to keep them, and the engineers are going away where people don't know how to work on the transmitters and people don't know how to work on the towers and the different things. And so I think it's, it's just going to be a reality of dollars where we say, hey, I can broadcast so much easier digitally with a podcast or so much easier digitally via the internet in some fashion, even Facebook or whatever live that people do to the point where people just will not be able to justify the cost. That doesn't mean that in big cities, you'll lose all your signals. Uh, I just mean that I think that it, things will evolve and change big time. And hopefully the FCC will get a clue on that and bring back radio. And let me give you an example. We could bring back radio in a big way and say, listen, we're going to basically move all the <clears throat> uh, signals in the AM dial to digital. Okay, now those are the broadcast signals now, and we give them a special 
uh, grandfathered in move and all the licensed radio stations there. Now we're going to make the AM band on the analog. <clears throat> we're just going to let it be used like the old CB band used to be, Citizens Band for CB radios. And now anybody can put up their own little teeny, uh, you know, say 500 watts or less uh, AM radio signal. And then you would start to have all kinds of people take digital and make teeny little neighborhood radio stations all over the country. I think there could be a lot of neat things that could happen. The problem is government regulation stands in the way of most of this now. And so we'll see how it evolves. I think radio, if it currently stays the way it is, will go away in most cases for the AM and FM dial. AM first, FM over time. Eventually things will move to digital. But if they would loosen things up, you could see it become a hobby band like no other. People that are interested in radio and fun and people who want to basically have an AM radio station for their little neighborhood or whatever else, I think there could be a lot of neat things people do if they were given the opportunity. So it depends on what the FCC does. But as it stands, I see most of it going away. It's just too expensive at the small radio operator. So basically what you're uh, proposing is uh, very similar to micro-broadcasting that you saw back in the late 90s. You had uh, FM neighborhood radio stations, in my understanding, on the left end of the FM dial broadcasting, extreme right-wing or left-wing talk. Not that all the stations, but you're kind of proposing something similar to that on the AM band. Yeah, the difference is a lot of those stations that were broadcasting more than, quote, allowed power. So, yes, they were micro stations, but literally they were illegal stations or pirate stations because most of them crossed the line in terms of how much power they were supposed to have. If you really obey the rules, you don't have any power, right? And so I think a lot of those stations were around for those reasons. This would be basically a legal blessing Mm -hmm. from the government to say, hey, let's let it be a citizen's band. Let it be a fun band. Let it be a hobby place where people can learn about technology and, and set up a station for fun and broadcast your own little content to wherever you want. And um, it would be a different ballgame because it would be sanctioned. Yeah. Now, so would you, uh, would you say, okay, you can broadcast on this, but you've got to have a license to broadcast 500 watts or whatever? No, I would say everybody can have 500 watts, and it's just a free-for-all. Okay. Well, that would uh, – I don't want to get off top. That would bring a lot of anarchy to the airwaves, I would think. Well, only on the AM dial. But um, with the, the grunge and the fuzz and the sky wave at night and all the hiss from every other device on the planet, uh, there's already basically, as far as I can tell, anarchy on the airwaves. Well, let me ask you this, because I want to bring this to a personal level. So digital level. is different, and, and FM is different, but think about AM right now. You tell me how it's not already anarchy. I sit in my um, yard, and I can basically hear KFI radio, which is a grandfathered-in 50,000-watt radio station out of Los Angeles or whatever, and it comes in at 6.40 a.m. on the dial, and I can literally hear it at night, and it's literally uh, almost 800 miles from me. Um, but yet I struggle to hear my local AM radio stations right here in my county. How does that not already create anarchy in the airwaves kind of? So all I'm saying is that, you know what, you've already got that. If I drive around, even with KSL's AM signal, unless I'm right in Salt Lake City, if I'm even in Utah County or anywhere else, I can't hardly hear the AM station if I drive because I, I hear power lines and I hear all these things. And so it's already that way. And what uh, KSL has done is they said, listen to the FM, if you're close in and listen to AM, if you're further out, I mean, they've already got that kind of hybrid going on. I was um, gonna say, is that anarchy in the airwaves? It's grandfathered in and very unique. Um, so I, I'm submitting to you that it would just be a repurposing of, and yes, it would be a little bit uh, um, 
people walking on one another, but that's what the CB band had too. The truckers would be using it. And then, you know, kids would get on there and people would be like, Hey, breaker, breaker. I'm talking to my girlfriend on here. And the trucker would be like, Hey, get off here. We're trying to do business on here. And right. I mean, that all always happened back in the seventies oh, yeah. CB radio. So it would be no different. Well, let me uh, bring this to a personal level though. Uh, Cause the older AM radios that I have experienced, uh, I'm talking about particularly a big boom box that I got for Christmas in 1992. It was awesome. Not only did it have good FM sound, but it had really phenomenal AM reception. And I was running, I was playing with a, a Sony Walkman even up until 2018. I was playing with it and then it broke on me, sadly enough, but it broke on me. And then I, 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 it, I'd had no interference. I didn't have to worry about the Wi-Fi interference or any of that. Now I have a pocket radio that I bought from a really good company, the C-Crane. No, this is not an advertisement. I'm just telling you. I got it from the C-Crane company. And that thing, if I don't have it at the right angle, it gets more interference from Wi-Fi signals and who knows what than the Walkman I had. Is that because they just don't make them as good? Yeah, they don't make them like they used to. It costs too much money. And there, I believe, is kind of an agenda to shut down uh, AM radio, believe it or not. I believe there's an attempt to get rid no, of all analog broadcasting. And let me tell you why I say this. I don't know if you know, but back in the day, uh, the late, I'd say the mid-90s. I'm trying to guess because I can't remember that far back very easy. But Motorola, one of the best radio people in the world. I mean, they're involved in all, all kinds of radio transmissions, the Motorola company. And they developed a project called Symphony back then. And Symphony was a way to say we don't need to convert uh, radio stations to digital. It's too expensive for all the people to upgrade their transmitters. What we can do is take a very scratchy, very fading in and out, very... Um, grungy AM radio signal and we can bring it into our radio and then we can apply this symphony chipset to it and we can literally take the signal that's good reject and filter out all the bad signals and give you on your AM radio band a better than an FM signal I remember that. And yeah, they literally the had this and... project ready, and I interviewed the people that were in charge of the project, and I they literally that. gave me sample sound files of the uh, transmissions and how bad it sounded, uh, and, 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 and then how it, they would – you'd hear a sound bite, and it would be of the regular signal – how it came into the radio, if you will, and then their cleaned-up version and how you could listen to it, and it was shockingly good. And um, they were ready to roll it out. I mean, they even talked about, we're going to have radios for Christmas. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. It's really, and then all of a sudden the project got killed. It got shut down. It completely vanished. And I have had the opportunity to ask Motorola people, and I won't say any names because I'm not trying to get anybody fired, about that project that every one of them said it was intentionally deep-sixed. And my question is why? You could literally... For Motorola, it was a huge thing. You could sell millions and millions and millions of radios, and the radio broadcasters wouldn't have to spend a penny. And you could literally take signals that were 100, 200 miles away that you could barely hear and make them sound killer. 
And why did that get all deep sixed? I don't know. I don't mean to go into conspiracy land. I'm just telling you that it was so close to release and got deep sixed so quickly, so quietly, so absolutely that you can't believe in anything else. Except for it was intentionally shut down by somebody somewhere. And I believe the digital radio people and the satellite radio people shut it down. I remember you interviewed, yeah, that was back in 2002. I remember you interviewed the person. I, in fact, I called in that, uh, that during that interview. I yeah. can't remember when it exactly was. All I'm telling you is it was a very yeah. interesting project. And it got, oh, I mean, yeah. right now you can't even find an employee that hardly even knows about the project. If you type in on the internet about the project, even if it was historical, you would see information on it. You see nothing. The project was called Symphony, and it was done by the Motorola company. And why is it so deeply, you know, deep-sixed and buried and gone from memory, from history, from reality, from I don't know? Yeah, I, gosh, I must have Googled that at the right time because I remember Googling it right after you had that guy on. You Google it right now. There used to be 20 things that would pop up. Yeah. It was an ongoing project. Now yep. you search for it, and you will find nothing. Yeah, so and I'm just me, asking why. I don't know the answers. I'm just telling you, though, that radio is changing. And if you ask me if AM and FM is going away, I think eventually it will, except for the chosen few. And I think it's intentionally designed to do so. Well, let me just uh, bring this to a more personal level. Um, I'm up here in Billings, Montana. And I'll admit, I do, it used to be when I would move to a new area, I would automatically, one of the, the first thing I would do is listen to the radio. Even if I was only, go even if I just barely got there, I'd listen to the radio for an hour, just try and catch a call sign or two. Now, I just uh, listen to what's there, the local radio stations, and unless uh, it has a really good music format that I like, I really don't care what the call letters are. And I'm a big radio guy. Am I weird that way or? Well, you're weird in the way that you do radio like I do radio, which is I want to know where the stations are from and who owns them and what's happening and all that. And now that we don't care anymore, it just proves the point that I'm making is that, hey, the only people around are going to be the big boys. You're going to have five radio operators like you have five TV radio operators, like you have five you know, newspaper companies, like you have I – mean, there's really hardly anybody around anymore. All the companies are owned by somebody else, and well, they're intentionally consolidating the media. They just are. Yeah. Yeah, the reason I don't care is just because radio, to me, does not sound as good as it used to 20, 30 years ago. Well, what ago. do you want to do in every city you go to? Hear Glenn Beck? Do you want to hear Glenn Beck, Rush Limbaugh, or uh, Imus in the morning? No, I know Imus isn't around, but you know what I'm saying. You get just a few choices. Well, to me, it's not even that. It's just the fact that, okay, I listen to any music station. Pick a, pick a station, unless it's owned by a real independent company. I can think of one station in Billings, Montana, that is an exception to the rule. But most music stations play the same songs over and over and over. Yeah, because they get a five hundred, uh, you know, song approved list, and that's it. Yeah. Once so, in a while, they'll throw in something else on occasion, but for the most part, that's what you get. And you've got nothing but glorified jukeboxes with national hosts that are recognized everywhere. And I'm not, you know. Yeah. Uh, trying to attack anyone, but I am saying that's not what the people want. The problem is, how can I start a radio station, AM or FM? How mm -hmm. can I afford to run it? How can I get the licensing with the environmentalists to put a tower up? How can I pay the power bill? How can I, and there's just not enough advertisers to do it. And therefore you're just going to see more and more and more of this. And then you're going to start to see the other guys fall away. Well, then uh, because they my, just can't afford to do it. Yeah. And then my attitude is, well, I have uh, a smart speaker. I have Apple Music. I can listen to any music I want. Why do I need the radio has, has been my attitude. Now, you're right. 
these services are going to go away or they're going to be fiercely regulated, which brings up another issue. That's why I have CDs. So if these go away, hey, guess what? I've got CDs I can listen to is basically. No, you don't. CD players will go away. You have to go to the Smithsonian to get a CD player. I don't know. Uh, we thought about we thought the same way about records, and they did a research, didn't they? Well, there's a resurgence for uh, LPs among the not so faint-hearted, if you will. But there's not a resurgence of records for most people. I mean, most people don't know what a record is. Most people don't have a record player in their house. If they do, it's not. It doesn't have a uh, current needle, etc. Okay, most people can't play a record. If you brought a record, just say a 33 or a 45, forget 78s, right? But if you brought oh, yeah. a 33, an album, or a 45 single to somebody's house and said, "Can you play this for me?" I'm telling you, 95 out of 100 houses could never play it even if they wanted to. I couldn't play a record right now in my house. What do you think of a friend of ours? I don't, I don't even mention- think I can play a cassette for you very easy in my house. Why? Okay. I, don't, I know that I can't play an 8-track. Can you? No. But let me ask you this, okay. though. I, I don't want to get too into it because I got other – but what do you think of a friend of ours? I'm not going to mention his name because I don't have permission. He has a record player, and he bought his daughter a record player who's 13 years old. Do you, do you think that's the exception? Because Yes, I do. That's what, that's what I'm saying. I think that's the exception. I think that's a unique person that has an interest in records. There will always be <clears> – I don't know if I had to use the word groupie because I don't mean to be negative. There will always be groupies around Another certain group. technology that love it and promote it and, you know, defenders. I mean, you can even get old old soda pop fountains in the right – restaurants or the right stores or whatever and they're neat but they're certainly the exception so there'll always be a unique vertical market of people that love something right Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that the majority will have it by any means well just so you know sam i bought a cd player just a few weeks ago and i have it right here on my desk it fits into my computer it's a cd rom and I plan to buy more CDs just in case Apple Music doesn't have whatever I want for a political reason or whatever. And you don't think that there'll be enough people like me around? Nope. Hmm. Well, time will tell. Because let me give you an example to make the point. How long was it ago that you could just walk into any neighborhood, any mall, any whatever you want to say, shopping center, and find a record store? and go in and buy records and buy CDs and buy whatever. Okay, how many can you do that to now? Can you find a a record store? You might find something vintage. You might find the exception. Okay, Mm -hmm. but how many times can you walk in and find a music store like that today? And the answer is you can't find them anywhere, can you? No, uh, unless you go to Barnes & Noble or something. I understand they still sell CDs, although I would think their CD selection is limited. That's right. And so all I'm saying is that it's not that people don't care, but hey, if there's not enough dollars to support something, it goes away. And once it goes away, it's about impossible to bring back. Uh, and so what you'll find is you'll find niche vintage, you know, you see these distributors and stuff like that. I'm not saying that you could never get them and I'm not, like radio. I'm not saying for the next five or 10 years, it's totally gone. I bet you'll be able to buy a CD player in five years still, but I bet in 20, you won't. Well, time will tell. Um, but even in five years, it'll be the exception. Um, and an example would be, hey, you know, 20 years ago, if you had stored your data for your computer, what would you have stored it on? I would have stored it on a hard drive and a, a diskette floppy. That's exactly 20 years ago, you would have been on a floppy for sure, uh, because your hard drive would be full or crashed by now. 
And if it was on the floppy, can you even play it now? Can you even pull it up and get data off of it? No, I'm trying to think though. Twenty years ago, I think the compact flashes flash drives starting to come out now. That's when they, they made their debut, and now they're already out of existence too. If you have compact flash stuff, or the old, you know, MD for example, it's all gone, right? Yes, it's hard to get. Although I do have a compact flash drive. Thank heavens it has a USB port. If it, but I see your point. Yeah, I'm just saying most people. If you brought a uh, an MD to somebody's house. I, I'm telling you right now, there's one in a thousand households that could play that if you're lucky. So I, I'm not being negative to the technology. I'm just saying it evolves and it changes and it evolves and changes and it happens faster and faster. So eight tracks were around longer than the cassette, cassette shorter than the, you know, et cetera. It's, it's just evolving to where, you know, what's it going to be next? Yeah. Well, Most let, let modern me... young generations don't even do MP3s. You might, yeah. Uh, well, let me just uh, ask you this uh, on the digital aspect. I'm starting to see in the major cities these HD radio stations. Now, for those of you that don't know how HD radio works, because a lot of people do not know what HD radio is, they think, oh, I have satellite radio. No, that's not HD radio. HD radio, let's say 102.7 down in Salt Lake. So now you have 102.7.1 is the HD frequency. You have to have a special radio to get it. So you can't just get it on any radio. You have to have a special radio. In fact, it exists in the atmosphere, but you don't even know that it exists unless you have the right radio to receive it. Correct. Okay. Um, where was I? Yeah, the HD radio... Um, yeah, so I, I'm starting to notice with these HD radio stations, though, the programming is extremely tight-niched. Have you noticed that? Yes, because they know that very few people have it. And uh, more people even have satellite radios than have HD radios. And no offense, but why do I want either when the radio's in my uh, Alexa speaker or my phone or my podcast? Or okay, Why would I even buy an HD radio? What would I do with it? There's so few broadcasters, and the programming is so niche. Why would I even do it? I think that's what makes it so exciting is because I actually find things on HD radio stations that I'm interested in, believe it or not. Well, I agree, but the, the, the fact is the masses will never know. Well, you're probably right. I, I just know. Well, let me ask you if you have a beta instead of a VCR. No. Okay, and the reason why is because beta was better than VCR back in the day, but VCR won because it was cheaper and it became more ubiquitous faster, right? Yeah. Okay, and so, you know, hey, even people who use VCRs now for their digital video watching or for their analog, whatever you want to call it, video watching, people get a VCR only because they have tapes to play in it. And they're just like, well, as long as I have some tapes until I can do something better, I might as well get a VCR, at least I can play them. But again, those are the exception. Most people just have movies in their digital accounts. Most people just have movies on these streaming services now. Most people have movies on DVD or on Blu-ray or, okay, and even the uh, the uh, analog tape VCR stuff's gone away. But if you had a beta, I mean, you haven't been able to use that thing in years. Beta lost the wars back in the 70s or whatever. So all I'm trying to say is that these, these technologies evolve, and yes, they will go away. I wouldn't think it to be negative, though. I think more and more and more where there's a need, there's a way to fulfill that need. And I think that new technologies are coming to, to fruition all the time. 
Well, let me ask you this, because uh, uh, I actually agree with you. I think podcasting is the way of the future for a myriad of reasons. One of them is because people like you and I can sit right here. I'm in Montana. You're in Utah. We're having a conversation. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why you're going to see more and more podcasters. Uh, but and how I, can I get that conversation to the most people, the least expensively, and the best quality I can get? See, back in the 90s, I created a project. It didn't go very well, but I created it nevertheless. And it was I was going to record radio shows, and at the end of every week, I was going to send out a CD to all the people who wanted it. And that way, they could just put the CD in their car full of MP3 files, because at that point, all the CD players started to add the ability to play MP3 files. And so I thought, well, hey, I could put, you know, 10 hours of radio on a CD, send it to you, and then you could just listen to it at your house or in your car or wherever you were. Well, that was short-lived. Now a lot of these CD players don't add the MP3 playing technology anymore. So if you put MP3s on a CD, it's very hard to uh, play those unless you put it into a computer or something. And so, again, these technologies, some take, some don't, some last long, some don't, but the cycle continues, right? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember when you tried to do that. Yeah. Um, now, let me ask you this. Uh, podcasting, the way of the future. Now, the concerns that I have are, you know, the way that we got our podcast has changed a lot. You know, it used to be you had to know the URL feed, the, the feed to get your podcast. You had to put it into an RSS reader. Which, by the way, I still do in Internet Explorer. And you can still do that. It exists now, but they're making it harder and harder. And you've got to go to some podcast directory where the uh, interface is transparent. You just sign up for it with your iPhone or your whatever, and uh, you don't even really realize all that back-end reality. You just participate it from a directory or a front-end somewhere. Well, yeah, you're getting to my point because if Apple says, we don't like your content, we're booting yeah, you Yeah, the Kevin Cast is bad. Yeah. So what's going to happen then? People are going to have to know about these back ends like you and I. Is What's going to happen then? It will well, happen. Either they're going to have to know about the back ends or smart people are going to put together directories of not so much approved content. Some players kind of melt down and other players stand up tall. So right now, for example, I use Blueberry for my podcasting because they're, they've got a pretty thick skin. They don't cower and tower to be, and melt down and stuff. They just simply say, hey, the content's there. Um, and the ver you know, vertical niches are there. And Apple might take me down, but Blueberry won't. And so we just have to get better at making sure there's enough competition uh, to where somebody will stand up for you. And if they don't, uh, it, at some point it's going to be a sad day in America, and I'm starting to see that. Yeah. Do, yeah. Do you, so, do you think when do you think the internet is going to be completely regulated by the government? When do you think that'll happen? Again, I think the battles are on. We're young in the industry. Uh, you see the pendulum swing. Before the internet was a free for all, anybody could do anything. And then what happened is the internet got controlled quite a bit. And then people created the underground internet. I don't know if you know much about it, but there is an no. underground internet. Oh, you, well, okay. You're talking about the dark web, or are you talking about something that's else? That's right. No, okay. the dark web. And, okay, and you can say that's just for the bad apples right now or the bad players or the people who are doing illegal things. And for the most part, you'd be right. But you know what? What if they shut me down everywhere? Pretty soon I'm going to say, hey, uh, I want the dark web. We may even go back to where if I get completely kicked off the Internet for the most part, uh, that I could have a way that somebody could connect to my system via um, a BBS? other radio options. Um, yeah. And people would be able to connect and grab my stuff and then share it with others themselves, almost like a modern-day wireless 
bulletin board system of sorts. There mm -hmm. might be that through uh, certain radio options, right? Yeah. So there's there's all kinds of ways, and if there's a will, there's a way to get your content out. Remember, even in World War II, Helmut Hubner, uh, he was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He lived in Germany at the time. He was a young teenage boy. He created his own newspaper tracks to educate people, and he became so popular that eventually they murdered him. They killed him. Uh, but his buddies survived, and one of them uh, came to the United States and told the whole story and everything else. Uh, they're all now passed away, but their story is riveting. And the guy that came to the United States was named Rudy. Anyway, long story short, they found ways to get their word out back in the time. They were just teenagers with virtually no resources, but they had a will and they had a way. And I submit to you that there will be just as resourceful people, no matter what the landscape looks like. It'll be different in its in its tactics, or I'm sorry, it'll be different in its distributions. It'll be similar in its tactics, right? So all I'm telling you is, yes, they will get more tyrannical and the pendulum will swing. But every time it gets more tyrannical, there's people that find ways around it. Uh, and eventually there will be a, in my opinion, a real dissenting of voices in this country. I pray that it doesn't happen, but I'm predicting that it will. Um, you lose freedom when people don't pay attention to God. And as a society, we don't pay attention to God. So I'm convinced that you, you will have more and more and more of this tyrannical behavior going on. It'll break out in fits of anarchy, but eventually they'll be quelled and shut down. And eventually there will be more and more of a homogenizing of the media. You watch. Well, that brings up another, a couple other questions I want to ask you. And since this is a LDS podcast, we'll get deep into this. What do you predict the future of this country will be before the second coming? Do you think we'll be completely communist and Christ is going to come and shake it all up? Or what do you think will happen? I personally think that the society will become more and more and more wicked. The division between the righteous and the wicked will become uh, to the point where they're completely living separately in their lives and in their societies. Uh, it'll start by certain cities and certain states. We're starting to see that uh, now, but carry on. Yeah, and eventually it'll get worse to the point where you'll have to have covenant communities for safety. So the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ, kind of describes that the people broke into tribes. And they learned to work together. They weren't necessarily religious, but they worked together and had some kind of a, uh, you know what, I got my laws with my kinsmen and my people, and you got your laws and your kinsmen with your people. But we have kind of a code of ethics a little bit to where we respect one another's laws and communities at this point. And I think it'll evolve into that. And I think you'll eventually have covenant communities and the level of protection for those covenant communities will directly relate to their obedience to God and his commandments, whether they're members of the church or not. Uh, religious organizations that keep God's commandments will be protected to a great degree. And eventually it'll get so bad that a civil war will break out in America. And when it does, people will need to flee to the Rocky Mountains for safety. It'll be the only place where there's really any stability and safety. And, and eventually it'll get worse and worse and worse. And eventually the uh, Antichrist will become so numerous that it will be unsafe almost anywhere in the land. And then there'll be more and more and more destruction. And eventually they will overthrow the United States government uh, in its, quote, uh, centers of power. But yet there'll still be covenant constitutional communities around. And so the Constitution will be preserved uh, via the very few. And uh, eventually uh, it'll get bad enough to where um, angels will defend the righteous and the righteous and angels will fight together to defend freedom. And eventually the flag will be blown in the breeze when the savior comes. And this is a vision that George Washington had. And this fulfills prophecy that, you know what, this nation will not be destroyed. It will be almost to the brink of ruin, 
but understand that this nation's stability and safety and covenant with Christ and covenant with the land is not based on Washington, D.C., or based on some bureaucrat at the federal level, or based on a Congress. It's based on principle, and principles are simple. You keep God's commandments, and you're blessed and protected in the land. If you violate those commandments, you're eventually swept off the land. And I think that it'll be relatively peaceful until they start kicking out the prophets, until they start kicking out the righteous from among them in certain communities, it'll be relatively peaceful. There'll be ebbs and flows and things like that, but it won't get too bad. The second they start kicking the people who are righteous out of their communities, then the Lord will take off the gloves, if you will, uh, and it, it'll be pretty rowdy when that happens. But it has to do with when they kick the people out of society that are righteous, and then when they start to deny people agency, when people don't have a choice to choose the right, when children are born and they don't have a choice to make wise choices and, and embrace freedom and embrace the gospel or embrace principles of, of morality and, and, and stuff, when people have no choice and when they kick the righteous among them out of their societies is where you're going to see it get really intense. But I believe that will be the future. Now, that sounds like a bleak future. I don't mean it to. I'm just telling you, go read the proclamation on the family. And as long as we violate the commandments of God, you will not protect societies who do that. When they kick the righteous amount, uh, among them out, when they persecute the saints, if you will. Uh, and when I say saints, I mean the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But I also mean good Christian people everywhere. This is not a Mormon thing. This is a, look, there's a lot of people that may not be members of the church, but they live good, righteous lives. They have great Christian communities. They keep the commandments. And they'll be blessed for doing so. Let's be very clear. And they will be protected for all the commandments they do keep. And I believe that what will happen is when you start to remove the righteous from among you and persecute the righteous, that's when things get really bad for a society. We're not even there yet, but I'm telling you that it's coming. And it's not going to be fun when it is. Well, don't you but think understand that this is not a negative message. If we keep the commandments of God, we will see miracles and we will have protection. Yeah, don't you think we're in the beginning phases of what you're talking about? All these rioting, all the rioting going on in major cities, including Salt Lake, although they shut that down pretty quick, didn't they? Um, you know. uh, yes and no. They shut it down pretty quick temporarily. Uh, I think it'll come back with a vengeance. And I believe that Salt Lake City will be one of the worst cities in the future. Uh, it'll have the most righteous and the most wicked. Well, let me ask you this. Um, because you're getting on something that Ammon Bundy correct uh, talked about on my podcast, these constitutional tribes. Do you see constitutional tribes popping up uh, as well as uh, covenant communities and such? Yeah, I mean, a constitutional tribe and a covenant community are basically the same thing. Whether you call it a tribe or a community, it'll be basically people living together that are willing to agree to certain principles and guidance. Uh, guidances they'll be based on either political, so constitutional, and or religious or both themes. And, you know, most of these covenant communities will be constitutional communities or tribes. I only use the word tribe because the Book of Mormon uses that term as well. Uh, and whether you call them communities or tribes or uh, you know, I don't know. What I mean by that is it might be counties at first. It might be states at first. It might, every political subdivision will have a breakdown um, of its own. But it will, the purpose of it will be to provide safety and restore order in an otherwise anarchist type place, right? So I don't know what the terms will be for them all. I call them covenant communities because I believe that they'll need to be a covenant with God for safety at some point. I call them constitutional communities. Um, because I don't know that the boundaries of counties or states or will apply necessarily. 
I mean, they may in the short term, but whether they will long term, the less order we have through government, the more order they'll need to be via this covenant, via this community, via this cooperation, via this religious, uh, whatever it be. Okay. And I don't know if it'll be wards or stakes. We'll take a role in that. I don't know if it'll be uh, counties and cities that'll take a role. I don't know the words to use because I believe as society breaks down, these will evolve organically. And I don't know that the current words and divisions that we have now will, will apply necessarily. So I, I use the words loosely, but I think that they're the same principle, the same point, the same thing in the end. Let me ask you this. Uh... I think I know why you think that this old, the Rocky Mountains will be the safest place, but I've been down south. There's a ton of very good salt-of-the-earth Baptists down there and other religious people. Yes, there are. They will have covenant communities there. Um, the problem with them is they will be very unique in nature. In other words, if you're not an evangelical, you're not welcome. Okay, a Mormon's just as bad as an unbeliever to many of the evangelicals. So they will have their communities too. I'm not saying there will be safety nowhere else, but it'll be far and few between. Well, uh, the, yeah, you brought up something interesting because, and maybe it was just my perception, I live down south. There seemed to have been a lot of tolerance between me and the Baptists that I ran into down there. Now, granted, one Baptist, I think really, well, I know he really wanted to convert me. It never happened, A, because I left, B, I wouldn't have done it anyway. Uh, but there seems to be a tolerance between the two. Maybe that was just my perception. I think there's a tolerance as long as they think that they can convert you to their side. Mm -hmm. I think eventually when a push comes to shove, it'll be ain't from around here mentality. Hmm. It'll be a, why would we welcome you and why would we trust you and what value can you bring to us at that point discussion? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not saying that everyone will be like that. There's always exceptions to everything. But for the most part, that will be the mentality, because at some point they're going to say, what what have you done for us lately? What can you contribute to us? And if you have something and, uh, good enough, then it's going to be it's going to be difficult. Yeah. Well, let me. Uh, yeah. Well, um, so I'll give you an example. The evangelicals wouldn't even let the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints be part of their National Day of Prayer for the longest time. Yeah. Now, right? Yeah. Now what and I don't know why that? they wouldn't even let us pray with them. We were praying people, too. And where a lot of that changed was when the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints stood up boldly in California to reject Proposition 8 and some of the same-sex agenda stuff. Uh, that's when a lot of the evangelicals got respect for the Mormons because the Mormons took the lead and the evangelicals held back and they wouldn't support us. And then when we lost, they kind of went, wow, we should have supported you. And our response was, well, you're right, you should have. Um, but this is what I mean. There's a there's a underlying deep-seated theological difference. And it's hard for people to get past that. I pray that we can, uh, but I'm not so sure. What do you think, uh, though, okay, so you have uh, Ammon Bundy, who's getting respect with a lot of, uh, I don't know about evangelical, but people across the spectrum who are constitutional, doesn't matter if they're evangelicals or whatever. Uh, then you've got Lavoy Finicum, who got killed, and so according to somebody on my podcast, people were coming to his funeral that was held at a Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints Chapel, and they swore up and down they would never, ever, ever step foot into that church again. So do you think we're going to see those kind of things happen? Where 
Yes, because I think people are going to say because of the constitutional point and because of the, the sacrifice made, people are going to erase a lot of those boundaries. And I think people will say we need to work together. People that are non-members of the church will flee to the Rocky Mountains for safety. People who are Mormons will flee to some of these southern communities that you speak of. Again, there'll be isolated holdouts of covenant communities. And I think the tie that binds will be our commitment to God and our commitment to the Constitution and these principles. And I think eventually a lot of those lines will be erased. Yeah. However, I think there'll be certain communities that hold so closely to a certain line that they won't welcome others in it. And that will be the, you know, I don't know who will be who at that point, right? Yeah, but, but, you, but you agree with me. We're in the beginning phases of that, correct? I think we're on For the same. For sure. Yeah. And- yes, I just don't know how advanced or how quickly we will advance. Yeah. So I'm going to be 53 years old in a couple of days, Kevin. I don't know mm-hmm. how many years I have left on the planet, but let's say that it's 20 or 30 or 40 at most, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, if it's 20, then I'm 73 when I die. If it's 40, I'm 93, somewhere in there, just yeah. depending on my health and everything else. I hope for more than less time, no doubt. But, you know, will all this happen in my day? Will the second coming happen while I'm alive? How bad will it get while I'm here? You know, I don't know the answers to those things. And, yeah. I, and I really find it dangerous when people start putting time frames on things because they're 99 times out of 10 wrong. That's true. And when I say 99 out of 10, I mean it, meaning there's so much wrong compared to them being right that it's, it's, it's not even a normal ratio. I've heard, you know, preachers say that this is the end of the world. And I've heard other people say, by golly, this is the last election. And I've heard people say oh, this no. is the tipping point. Or I've heard people say there's no going back. And I've been in the Patriot Movement for 30 years. <laughs> and I've heard this stuff almost every day since. And night, I'm telling you that I don't even know one that's been right. So we need to be very careful about timing, but I do believe that we are getting closer to the Savior's return. I do believe we're gathering Israel, as the prophet says. Uh, I believe that Elder Nelson is truly a prophet of God, uh, and I'm convinced that there's a lot of uh, wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, you know, you get like this Chad Daybell group and stuff like that, where there's murders to their charge. They claim they're on a religious mission. Job to welcome in for these modern times. And again, I find that every one of those people that, that, that paint to these extremes uh, that suggest that they get revelation, uh, uh, you know, of a nature that would, would defy God's guidance, I'm just telling you, you're going to see more and more and more of that. You're going to see more and more unhinged people. You're going to see society get even more reckless and more wild and more unsafe. And, but I just don't know the timing of how fast what's going to happen. Here's what I do know, though. The Book of Mormon talks about societies going from normal, stable, safe places to rowdy, wild war zones. In, in the, the, the term the Book of Mormon uses for this is not many years. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means, but I know this. It means that it changes quickly, and people run from the Lord quickly and turn their back on the Lord. They're, they're quick to do wicked, slow to remember the Lord their God. And so I don't know the timing, but I know those references have a relationship here. And I think we're in the beginning stages, but I don't know how fast it will escalate. It all depends on how many people repent and how many people turn to God and how many people truly uh, embrace the principles that keep society stable and safe versus how many times we let government get above us in secret combinations. That's going to be the question. And there's secret combinations everywhere. And I bring this up to people and they just say that I'm nuts. But I'm telling you, they exist. And the more we allow these secret combinations to prosper and get above the people, and the less we're engaged, the less we pay attention to God. For example, are we going to give, live a life of covenant or a life of convenience, Kevin? And that's what it really comes down to. 
Well, let me ask you this. Uh, let's talk about Oregon. Oregon, there's a big divide in the state of Oregon. And I'm not talking necessarily political audiology, although we could certainly go down that road. I'm talking about there's a big division between Portland, Salem. Uh, I don't know so much about Ben, but Portland, Salem, Eugene, the whole coast area, as opposed to Eastern Oregon. Eastern Oregon is kind of really an extension of Idaho and Utah, I found. I've lived in Eastern Oregon, lived there for 11 years. It's basically an extension of Idaho and Utah. Tons of members in Eastern Oregon. When I say Eastern Oregon, I'm talking about Burns, Baker, Ontario, tons of members. What do you think will happen to a state like Oregon? Where there's I think eventually they will fight amongst themselves, and eventually there will be uh, attempts at breakaway. You see this in California now, where the Northern California, and I mean extreme northern, not San Francisco, but north of that all the way up to Humboldt so County and, and, and some of those okay. kind of things. Ready? Yeah. Okay, you're yeah. going to see those guys want to break away too and become part of Southern Oregon because they say we're a whole lot more like Southern Oregon than we are like our San Francisco, our slash L.A. counterparts. And so there's an attempts to break off Oregon. There's attempts. So I think you'll see a remaking of a lot of the boundaries. And it may not be even documented. In other words, they may not be able to register as a given state. That takes a lot of the bar set pretty say, high look to get at that what done. what happened in the 1800s. That didn't work so well. Right. And, and I think it'll be a similar discussion where, you know, what? how well is it going to work? Well, the people in Southern Oregon and the people in Northern California might say, you know what, we can't get this done legally because it's so corrupt. We can't. But we're going to think and act and behave as if we're not part of the state of California. And I'm not saying that's good necessarily, but I'm saying I can see it happening. And again, that just points to the tribes we're talking about. There's another element to this that we're overlooking that I think is relevant. Believe it or not, um, how do I say this? International interests might be the way, best way to say it. International interests have investments in certain portions of America. And when they decide to call their debt due, you will see America be divided up between the Russians and the Chinese and the, the different international elements as well. That'll play a role. And they'll uh, insist on their calling card. Uh, and, and so I don't know how that'll play out, but I do believe there's something to that. There's debt, there's obligation, there's sister city scenarios. There's uh, to where you'll see America carved up 66 ways from Sunday by all kinds of special interests. And it went out follow state boundaries. And, you know, when that happens, uh, things will be different as well. And I don't want that to happen, but I've seen maps where you say who owns what. And when the calling card comes in for the Chinese and the Russians and the different, uh, you know, the Asians, and the, okay, you'll start to see America go certain ways and be controlled by very unique interests. That's gonna play a part too. And all these things have these overlays uh, that reject the current structure. So there's a book, and I don't know if you've ever read it, called The Freedom Factor, written by Gerald Lund. No, I haven't. And this book called The, this book called the Freedom Factor literally um, is a fiction book, but it's a, a very rich senator's aide, I think it is, that crashes his car uh, and then goes into this land where he uh, is seeing the meltdown of America for expediency. And the uh, girl that he meets, his father, I think it is, I think his name is Paul. I'm trying to remember this. But, uh, and Paul is a constitutionalist. At first, the senator's aide thinks the guy is just off his rocker nuts. And he's like, we got to do this because of expediency. And the, the old constitutionalist is like, no, we don't. You're crazy. You can't do this. Here's why. Anyway, eventually society gets so bad that 
You can't even cross state boundaries. It's like every state's almost a different country. Well, that sounds like a far-fetched idea 20, 30 years ago, but now with Corona, you can see it. You can't even literally go to Arizona and come back without having to quarantine, right? Pretty soon, what will it be when they say, hey, you can't come in? It's to, hey, we got a resurgence of the coronavirus or who knows what else will be the next level of, and you'll see it even hard to travel from state to state. So you're going to see more of this divide and more of this, some justifiable, some not, some special interest, some uh, expedience, some out of control government bureaucrats trying to, and all this will be in a big hodgepodge of confusion. When you turn your back on God, you end up with confusion. But we need to have fear over or faith over fear. And we need yeah. to remain faithful and we need to realize these are just nothing but signs of the times. And uh, the Lord can protect us and provide revelation. Uh, and as the prophet says, take your vitamins because it's a coming, buddy. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, I, I want to get on to some other topics, but I really want to but touch on But let's be this. clear. I'm not a prophet, and take what I say is just my own, uh, kind of my own opinions and speculation, uh, not a prophecy from Sam, because I'm not a prophet. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you're not Chad DeVale. <laughs> I am a follower of the prophet of God, <laughs> and I believe that to be Russell M. Nelson. Yeah. Well, let me uh, just, do you think maybe... This is why technology is increasing so rapidly, so that when this happens, we can keep in touch with people across the country and check on them and see I how they're so, doing. Yeah, for sure. I think technology, again, is a wonderful thing. I think that once the gospel of Jesus Christ was restored, technology advancement just happens natively by revelation and guidance, and it's all a blessing of the Lord. And I think that Satan's using it to his advantage, but so is the Lord. And uh, I think we just need to use it for the right, good, honorable purposes and advance the cause of the Lord as fast as we possibly can. And I believe that the youngsters of today catch on to technology so quickly and easily, not by accident, but by design of God. And eventually the great war will culminate. And understand the war in heaven's here on the earth today. And it ain't wrapped up yet, buddy. And it's going to get worse. So there's going to be casualties and it's going to be rowdy. Uh, but good versus evil will continue and good will prevail. There's no doubt about this. Well, that goes into another thing I want to get into. The, um, as you know, net neutrality passed by the FCC. President Trump overruled it. Maybe, just maybe, a thought. Again, I'm like Sam. I'm not a prophet. I don't receive revelation for the whole world. I'm not even going to pretend to. But just maybe, uh, this technology, God is preserving it and preserving more regulations so that we, uh, because he knows things like the coronavirus are happening, whether we agree with how the politicians are handling it or not, is irrelevant in some in, in a way. But maybe God is preserving all these regulations so that we can keep in touch with people because of government regulations. You can't go here. You can't. What do you think of that uh, that thought? I think it's very likely that the Lord is is uniquely using this uh, to advance his purposes and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, missionary work is changing substantially right now to where I've heard people say, well, I don't want to do the MTC at home. Uh, But you know what? That's going to be the future. Folks, write it down. Uh, And people are saying, I don't want to just sit in an apartment with a couple of other elders and craft videos. And you know what? We're able to share the gospel faster and more effectively through some of these digital channels and digital ways than we were able to -to face-to-face. So imagine your new prospecting being referral-based and or being uh, 
social media based as opposed to knocking on doors and walking dusty streets and 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 imagine these this shift is not by accident and the lord is using technology to where we can teach people in foreign countries that we can't physically set foot in now but yet the gospel can grow and and so understand that a lot of these evolutions and changes are certainly uh God is able to take advantage of them for his purposes, and he's able to open doors this way. And let's embrace it. Let's not hesitate. Let's not backtrack. Let's not spiral down in fear. Uh, let's not uh, suggest that we know better. Let's embrace these things for, look, why are you on the planet, Kevin? Why am I on the planet? To get a body and learn to choose wisely and eventually choose God and to make our will his will. And how can we then spread the word to help others do the same? That's really the ultimate reason we're here. Yeah, so actually, uh, you just did a great job in bridging into the next topic, missionary work. Now, you served your mission in Oakland, correct? I served part of it in Oakland, and then I got an eye operation uh, and tried for a cornea transplant. It's a long story, but anyway, I finished in Utah, so I served in both places. Oh, I didn't know that, really? So were you, yeah. were you, have you been blind your whole life then? I thought I've been that... blind my whole life. I was born blind. And I have a disease in addition to blindness called keratoconus, and that's where your cornea starts to cone up and get fluid under it, and it's very painful uh, oh. because as it, as, it, as it bulges out and gets fluid under it, then you get a bunch of scar tissue, and then when you blink, your eyes rub against this scar tissue, and it's very painful. And so they tried to give me a cornea transplant, not so that I could see, but so that my uh, cornea would be smoother and it wouldn't be so painful. But it, anyway, the cornea transplant failed. Uh, but I nevertheless received one uh, and had to serve in Utah because the Moran Eye Center where I got the cornea transplant was in Salt Lake City. And I had to go back every, you know, month and three weeks and to the point where it wasn't feasible to finish my mission where I was. Long story short, I served in Nephi and I served in Delta and I served in Hurricane and Leverkin on my mission. I also served in California in several places in the uh, Oakland area as well. So your, your folks lived in Utah when you were on your mission, correct? Yes, but they were gone on a mission too. They went to Taiwan. So was it weird, though, being near friends and family and saying, oh, I can't see you because I'm on my mission, or I can't see you, but it's going to be regulated? Not really, because I was in Nephi for a little bit, and then Delta, and then southern Utah, and all, all my family was in, you know, say, Utah County and, and, and everything. And so they were far enough away to where I just didn't really deal with them. Okay. Interesting. And so, I think today missionaries are doing a similar thing. A lot of people get called to, uh, you know, say New Mexico or Colorado, where they're not that far away either. But yet, you know, you, you just deal with them uh, and say, hey, they're on their mission. And, and so I, I communicated that way. My parents were gone on a mission as well. And uh, so it worked out fine. So let me ask you, uh, when you were on your mission, because I'm blind too, and we can compare notes here, did you use a cane on your mission, or how did you get around? Nope, I just had a companion guide me. Okay. So most of my life, I haven't used a cane. I had a guy, I've had two different guide dogs, and then I have a cane if I need it. If I travel alone, sometimes I take it with me. Most of the time, I don't. I just rely on sighted guides for the most part, and I find I do better that way. Okay. Um, so do you think a guide dog or a cane is better to get around? Because I've never had a guide dog, and I have reasons. I don't want to get into it out here. Just, well, I just think a guide dog would be a pain, but that's for another discussion. Well, it, has, it has some work to it. Uh, you got to take care of an animal all the time. It's a 24-7 responsibility, and you know, you got to feed them and relieve them and take them out to the bathroom and all those things. 
but you know, if you travel big areas and you travel a lot, a guide dog is much more effective um, than a cane will ever be. You know, a guide dog can see stairs and a guide dog can learn things. And, a, you know, you can literally tell your guide dog, hey, the, uh, you know, a hotel attendant said that if I go straight down here, the elevators are on the left. You can literally tell your dog to find the Ellie and your dog can find an elevator for you. And so there's a lot of things that dogs can be trained to do if you're good and if you become a great team with your dog to where you can do a lot of things. You can say, find the stairway. And your dog can literally help you find a stairway with a cane. It might take you 10 minutes to find it. A dog can take you right to it. Yep. So it all depends on your circumstances. There's pros and cons for sure. And one size does not fit all for everybody. But I found a guide dog, especially when I was single, uh, to be very valuable. However, when you're married and have a bunch of children like I did, I have eight children, right? When my kids were little, um, you can't hold on to people. You, everything is considered an obstacle to a dog. And so when I had little kids, a guide dog was very hard to manage. Oh, because yeah. you can't put kids on your shoulders and you can't hold a kid's hand and you can't. And so it got to where I turned, I got uh, my guide dog retired and then I used guide kids for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, all I'm telling you is that it's, it's circumstantial for sure. As a yeah. single guy, if I was traveling a lot for business and if I was a single guy, I would probably have a dog again. Do you think you'd ever use Ira? For those of you that don't know, Ira is artificial remote intelligence agent. It, an, an assistant will guide you through a, clear across the country just based on what he or she sees through your camera. And I would use that, and I think it's very effective if you want Ira to read something for you or to document something for you. Or I think it's valuable, but I don't think really an Ira guide it can guide you. And what I mean by that is, you know, if they say the stairs are coming up in 20 feet, if the camera's not pointed perfect, they can't see exactly what's going on. If they, um, you know, respond to something a little too late, you're, you know, tripping down the stairs. You're, so I think an IRA could be a great assistant as a tool in addition to things, but I don't think it could be exclusive by itself as opposed to, I don't need a cane, I don't need a dog, I'll just use IRA. I think it's, a, it's an added tool. If you have a cane and IRA, that gets to be very valuable. So I think it's layering technology to benefit uh, the blind person or the hearing needs person, etc. cetera. Uh, I think it's going to be layered technology that's the advantage there. Well, I'll tell you where IRA really helped me and uh... – yeah, Probably Ira can say, listen, Kevin, you've got your cane and the stairs are to the right. No, further to the right. Yep, you got to go yeah. around that little thing and then the stairs will be right there. That's where Ira can help. But your yep. cane is going to prevent you from getting hit in the head or hitting the you know, knees or whatever. And so I think these layering technologies is the answer. Well, I'll just, yeah, I'll say this. When I was in Mesquite uh, back in September taking care of some things, uh, I met Clive and Bundy in Mesquite and Bunkerville went out to his ranch and such. Uh, when I was in Mesquite, it really hit home that Ira was helping me a ton because of what you said. Now I had my cane. I always carry my cane everywhere when I go places, even if I'm with somebody. That's personal preference. But uh, my gosh, I didn't know my way around. The, and to make things worse, the Virgin River Hotel where I was staying at, I'm not trying to knock on them. They're a lot like a, well, they are a Motel 6, just under a different name and a casino. And so you have to go outside to get anywhere. And Ira really helped guide me around tremendously because they said, oh, this, uh, this building's uh, three feet ahead, turn around or whatever. It was great. Yeah, so I do, do I think that Ira with a sighted person remotely helping you plus a cane could be more valuable than a dog? As long as you have good connectivity, absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. Because again, now you're getting not only a dog's intelligence and sight, but you're getting a human understanding of what you're trying to do. The dog doesn't know what you want to do. The dog just knows I can help you find the elevator because I've seen an elevator 50 times. And when you say that word, I know this is where you want to go. <laughs> or a dog can say, I know that you want to go down the stairs. When you say, find the stairs, a dog knows that. But a sighted person understands, hey, you're trying to get here or you're trying to do this. So it's got real human intelligence now. It's a remote uh, in many ways. It doesn't provide the companionship that a dog provides, but it does provide a lot more human intelligence by far. So I think a cane and this IRA technology together is probably one of the best travel methods you could get today. Mm-hmm. It was kind of funny because really so. the IRA agent, when I got on in the morning and said, I need to find this casino to go somewhere to eat. She, it was kind of funny because during our travel she said oh it looks like you're in a very dry area i i had to laugh because i didn't want to tell her the real reason i was there for various reasons but it was kind of humorous actually well okay. yeah and, and, and so they don't they're just remote and they you know the problem is you can't keep them with you 24 7 so you may have to wait for the next ira agent and sit around and wait for someone to help you too uh, I know they pop on pretty quick, but again, it all depends on the need and the staff and the availability and the volunteers and the et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there's pros and cons. A dog, if it's with you, a dog's there 24-7. The best you can get is if you're a business executive and you have enough money to hire an assistant, and then that assistant can travel with you and guide you, and now you've got basically Ira in person. Yeah. Uh, with you 24-7, you don't need a dog at all. And as I've developed in my career, and I'm not saying I'm wealthy, but I've been able to do more of that. Well, let me ask you this. Let's go back to the mission um, because uh, the mission is, you know, a lot of people say funny things happen to you on your mission. Well, I have a few stories, nothing dramatic. But did anything funny happen to you? Because I have a funny story that I can relate. Well, all kinds of funny things happen to me, but a lot of them are spiritual and a lot of them are personal. Um, so I won't, I won't refer to them. When I was in California, we had bottles thrown at us, for example, though. We had people try to door us with their cars and say, you know, Satan's here to meet you. And, you know, I mean, there's weird things like that that occur. Well, I'll tell you a funny story that happened to me. And not a whole lot of funny things happened to me on my mission, like other people claim. But I was uh, sitting at somebody's house. We were helping somebody move or something. We were there for some reason. And my companion put my hand on somebody's face and I was just a young 20, uh, let's see, 19 year old kid. And you know how 19 year old men think. So my companion puts my hand on this person's face and I thought, Oh, it's maybe it's a nice cute girl. These uh, I'm breaking a rule here. And I was kind of excited. Then I found out as I explored the face more, it was a baby's face, but uh, we, we both had a good laugh out of that one. Yeah, you know, I've had some strange things happen on my mission. I remember that we, uh, in Hurricane, Utah, we, there was a joke. If you turn left, you go to the bar. And if you turn right, then that's where the missionaries live. And so we'd just <laughs> say, you know, hey, go to the bar, but choose the right, right before you get to the bar, and you'll be with us. <laughs> and so, you know, we oh, had wow. a few things like that. I didn't have people tease me or play games with me too much uh, on my mission, though. I think we did quite well. And my mission was a great experience for me. I learned a lot about the gospel and a lot about leadership and a lot about the spirit and a lot about working with people. And, you know, uh, mission was a great experience. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to get back to, we kind of touched on this, but I do want to get back just to your interpretation uh, apparently, Joseph Smith said, 
the Constitution would hang by a thread. Now there's even speculation whether he even said that or not, but what, what is your interpretation? You, you probably touched on it already with these constitutional tribes, communities, whatever. Yeah, I would say this. Again, you know, I think that um, Ezra Tapp Benson has really, in his book, uh, called the Constitution Heavenly Banner uh, and in other speeches, uh, really focused on this. Joseph Smith did say that. Exactly the wording, I think, is what's in question of exactly the wording and exactly the intent and exactly what he yeah. means. And I think I know exactly what he means. Here's what he means. You know, the Constitution is the political religion of our nation. The Constitution is the document that God has revealed to allow us to check power by those who would try to wrongfully use power against us um, and to preserve a people ready to receive their God, ready to receive Jesus Christ. And so I'm convinced that the Constitution will be in tatters. The Constitution will almost be ruined. Uh, the, the society and the government will eventually fall. And I, you know, I don't want to predict doom and gloom, and I don't want them to arrest me saying, I'm saying the government's going to fall. I'm not a, I'm not a uh, revolutionary. I'm a restorationist. I don't want a revolution. I want a restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. I am not one who um, pre preaches rebellion. I'm not one who preaches doom and gloom. I am one who says, though, that, hey, uh, for expediency purposes, they are going to literally obliterate the checks and balances, vertical and horizontal in this country. And when they do, there will be a people who understand the checks and balances and who create these covenant communities. And so I believe that, that you know what, the Constitution will be preserved by those who are willing to live by principle and who are willing to apply those checks and balances. How do I create a constitutional community? Well, I realize there's three different branches. I realize that there's a vertical and a horizontal. There's respect for government whenever it exists, um, unless it becomes too tyrannical or until anarchy breaks out. Uh, but we will use these principles to preserve a people till Christ comes. And that will be um, on the brink of ruin and good, righteous, moral people, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and those who are not members, who have a love of liberty, who understand these checks and balances, who will stand up and who will preserve a people till the Savior comes. So that's kind of how I believe it to be interpreted. Yeah. Well, uh, Sam, is there anything else? Oh, by the way, stay with me real quick. Uh, I have something to tell you at the end of the, uh, after the podcast. Anything else you want to add? Anything else we haven't gone over? The only thing I want to say is this, you know, we've covered a lot of topics that, that really can, if you're not careful, give you a pretty negative view that, man, I think things are just going to, the wheels are going to fall off, society is going to melt down, it's going to be a horrible thing, and I don't believe that. I do believe there will be turmoil. Whenever the wicked prosper, the righteous mourn. There's no doubt about that, and there's been no society in, in history that hasn't experienced some of that. But understand that I believe in the prophet of God. I believe that God loves us. I believe that uh, everybody's been waiting for these last days. I believe we're strategically put here on the earth in these last days to do a great work, a marvelous work and a wonder, if you will. And I don't believe it's all negative. I believe we live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. Like I said on my radio show earlier today, we've had 50 years of pretty much untold safety and prosperity. And I think that if we are righteous and if we are a covenant people, if we stand in holy places, 
If we build up the temples of our God and keep the commandments and learn to live by revelation, we will be preserved and experience miracles in the most miraculous way. And so I want to make sure that in the end we focus on this saying, I don't believe in doom and gloom for the nation. I believe there'll be a lot of tough times, but it's nothing different than the war in heaven was. But we made it through that, and we'll make it through this, and when we do, we will live with our God, and it'll be a glorious day. So I'm preaching that we live in the greatest country on the face of the earth, and our responsibility is to protect and defend the sacred principles that make America great, and repent and forgive and live according to God's laws in such a way that he blesses us with revelation and safety, and I believe that the righteous will prosper until the Savior comes. So I believe a lot of good, not just negative. I actually find, uh, believe it or not, these covenant communities, constitutional trials, whatever you want to call it, I actually find it very positive. I'm anxious to, I agree. to get there. I actually find that uh, very fast. It kind of reminds me, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit here. I don't know if it'll ever be as dramatic as Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, where these communities were inventing new machinery and things. Do you think we would ever get that far in these uh, so-called communities or what? I do, yeah. Really? I do think there'll be communities of, of technological innovation and prosperity and safety and stability in certain communities. Yes, I do. Huh. And I believe that they, the masses won't have them, and the righteous will be blessed with them. And eventually it'll get so much so that the contrast between the two will become so great that the wicked fear those of us who are righteous in these covenant communities and have technology. And that's why I think a lot of our battles will be fought for us by Almighty God and by the fear uh, put in those who are wicked to where they will cannibalize one another, uh, but they'll for the most part uh, spare us. Not 100%, but there will be a great sparing and a great protection by that. And I'll tell you what it reminds me of. You know, when Joseph Smith uh, went on Zion's camp, he thought he was going to fight physically and take the land back. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they went there and the Lord fought their battles with some storms and with some other miracles. And at the end of the day, they went home and they learned later, kind of hindsight's twenty twenty. But they learned later that, you know what, the uh, battles they thought they were fighting weren't the battles they fought. And the enemy they thought they had wasn't really the enemy that they had. The enemy was, hey, can you be humble through your trials? Can you turn to, let your trials turn you to God and make you stronger and make you more faithful? Or does it break you down and turn you away from God? And, and, and I think that a lot of the future holds that kind of um, tutoring ground for us, might be the best way to say it, where I don't know that it'll be so much physical battles for many of us, uh, but it'll be spiritual. It'll be turning to God. It'll be learning to receive revelation. It will be uh, willing to serve others and willing to be selfless and do you live a covenant life for a life of convenience and i think as we as we trod that wine press so to speak or go through those trials i think that it'll make the saints even stronger and i think a lot of the reasons we think we do things for god has another purpose and we just don't see it yet and that happened to joseph smith and zion's camp and i think that's the breeding ground for us as well maybe there'll be a digital symphony radio made in these communities possibly <laughs> All right. Or maybe well, there'll just be an internet that's a sub-internet that's an intranet that circumvents all the need for all that. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Well, thanks very much, Sam. I think we had a good conversation. Thanks for having me, Kevin.